0: invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms so we pick up our summer series in the book of Psalms and we'll, uh, we're looking at Psalm 21 tonight Psalm 21 let's give our attention to God's word Psalm 21. Psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies, your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in His wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Well, as we come uh, back to the Psalms, <clears throat> we recognize this is, not, uh, this is a different sort of genre. This is not historical narrative. Um, this, is, this is poetry. And so we've got to sort of uh, put our uh, caps on here a little bit as we, as we come to the Psalms. Uh, tonight, this is a Psalm about joy. David is writing about, specifically, the joy of victory. Uh, and he's rejoicing not just that he, uh, God has given him victory. He's, he's rejoicing as we're going to see in God Himself. Uh, that David delights in the victory because the victory manifests again the faithfulness of God and the might and strength of God, the faithfulness and the goodness of God. This is this is a psalm where David is he is ecstatic in God. It's a good uh, reminder to us that the Christian life. Uh, Ought to be about joy. Uh, Flannery O'Connor wrote one time, she said, picture me uh, stalking, with my ground teeth, stalking joy. C.S. Lewis, I love what he, he says, that joy is the serious business of heaven, and it ought to be the serious business of Christians here on earth. I read a, a Washington Post article uh, a while back where the, the writer marveled. There's been a long debate about this, but the, this our article is putting it to rest that the Eskimos actually do have over 50 words for snow and over 70 different words for sea ice. Uh, why would you need all those words? Well, if, you are, if your context is snow and sea ice, you soon realize it's not all the same. Well, we recognize as Christians as well that there are uh, different aspects of joy. We should be experts on the topic. But the joy multiplies and varies according to several factors. If you just think humanly speaking, we know this, that joy is multiplied by the significance of the accomplishment. If you you win a race or you you just manage not to come in dead last, um, that's one part, that's one kind of joy. Winning the championship is a whole different deal. Most of us have never uh, experienced that myself included, unless it's, you know, some card game maybe or something, but uh, most of us aren't champions. Joy is multiplied then by the accomplishment. It's multiplied by community. If you do, if you accomplish something yourself, that's cool, but if you can do it with a team, with a group, a community, and everybody's rejoicing, uh, joy gets highlighted, manifested, magnified, and it's multiplied by severity. It's one thing to win. say, maybe you were on a in high school. You managed to uh, be on a, a championship team. That was great. Winning at sports is fun, and and uh, I've read articles that that you know uh, try to convince me that that sports are um, one of the. and I think it's a good point, but you know it's one way that we we were we were hardwired for victory. Everybody wants to win. Why? Well, we were made we were made for conquest. As, uh, as those made in the image of God. But think about a, a sports victory, and think about the, the victory that um, people celebrated after World War II, where it was really a matter of life and death. And once, once victory was announced, people flocked into the streets, and, and those who had been the most oppressed by the Nazi regime were the most ecstatic. People just overwhelmed with elation and euphoria. They were rescued from Hitler's regime of death. That's a complete different kind of joy, and that's the kind of joy that the Christian has. And we're going to experience it in all of its fullness at one point. But now we already know this, and David is, is uh, he's ecstatic with that kind of joy. God has magnificently given him a victory. The psalm is outlined easily, if you you notice in your Bible, there's two clear parts here. The first being, thanksgiving to God after a victory in battle. And then secondly, confidence that there will be future battles and future victories, that God is going to win the whole thing. So the first part looks back with joy, the second forward with faith. Let's just give our attention here. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You've given him his heart's desire and not withheld the request of his lips. What's the context? What's David talking about? Well, this is where it's helpful to know that the Psalms are not a random collection of poetry. They are carefully arranged and in their own way are telling a story. And so um, Psalm 21, and this, this, is, this is why I studied Hebrew um, Psalm 21 follows Psalm 20. <laughs> you might not be impressed. <laughs> Psalm 21 follows Psalm 20. So, what is Psalm 20 about? Well, if you open, if you have your Bible still open, let's look at Psalm 20. Psalm 20 is a prayer of David and the people before the battle. Um, remember, warfare is is common part of life in David's day. They're surrounded by enemies. You got the Egyptians to the south, the Assyrians to the north, the Philistines to the west, the Edomites, Moabites and Ammonites to the east, and all of them hate Israel. And it's not just a it's not a political thing primarily. It's a spiritual thing. Israel is God's chosen people, and God has placed them in his chosen place, and the enemy of God, the devil himself, hates God's people, and the surrounding nations then are filled with demonic venom, and so there's always war. And so in, in Psalm 20, we have a Psalm of David, and, and the people praying specifically for David. Notice how they, how they pray before the battle. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. That's the prayer before the battle. The people pray this prayer for David, and David is praying this prayer. Now, clearly, we have God's answer. David's now is, after the battle, delighting in answered prayer. This is one of the beautiful things about praying about specific things, making specific requests. When you see God answer those specific things, you have much more reason to give thanks to him. And so, in verse 1, we have a direct relationship to 20 verse 5. 20 verse 5, remember... uh, Speaks of the salvation of God. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And now David says, in your salvation, how greatly the king exalts. David has this sense. You can tell from this psalm. David has this keen sense that his life is only explicable in in light of supernatural realities. It, It had always been that way. Uh, David had the understanding, even as a young boy, that it's not normal for shepherd boys when a lion attacks the flock to go kill the lion. And when the, when the bear comes, to go kill the bear with your bare hands. Now, that, that, that doesn't happen very often. In fact, it never happens unless there's something different about you. Right, uh, all the superhero movies and, and figures, all that. Well, that's all fiction. David is a is a young boy who actually sees a lion or a bear, right, attacking the flock, um, and he doesn't just sort of write it off. He goes and he kills the lion and the bear. He has a clear understanding that God is giving him strength to do the impossible. And so when he comes to, to, to the brothers and, and there's the army of Israel quaking in their tents and there's Goliath, this vile enemy of God, shouting out curses against Israel's God, David says, well, well let's go get him. Um, and if you're not going to go, then I'll go. Now, why would David do that? Because he is absolutely confident that God's strength is sufficient. That's the point of the whole enterprise. He says, "Right, I'm going go to go." He says to, to Goliath, "I'm going I'm I'm to cut off your head and, and feed your body to the birds of heaven." It's, it's pretty descriptive language for a little guy to be saying to this war machine. But here's the reason, you see, that all the earth might know that there is a God in Israel. It incensed David that if you looked at the Israelite army, you would not know they had a God, a God who reigned on high, a God who created the universe with a word. A God who promised to go with his people. You would never know there was that kind of a God if you looked at the armies of Israel. And so David, inflamed with a passion for the glory of God, goes to war. And that he says that they might know there's a God in Israel and that this assembly, Israel, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. David had a passion for the glory of God, and so he lived leaning on the strength of God. And here, after another victory, David rejoices in God's work, the strength that God has supplied. In your strength, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. In your strength. It was God at work through him. Nothing less, nothing more. And so after this victory, he exalts in God. You have given him, verse 2, his heart's desire. Well, that's exactly what they had prayed in verse 4 of chapter 20. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And David says, Lord, you did that. You've given me my heart's desire. You've not withheld the request of my lips. He'd ask for help, God gave him help. And more than that, you meet him with rich blessings and set a crown of fine gold on his head. In 20 verse 5, uh, they say, may the Lord fulfill all your uh, petitions. David reflects on one of those petitions, verse 4. He asked life of you and you gave it to him length of days forever and ever. These are not small blessings. Glory, honor, life forever and ever, right? not, not just a few more years like Hezekiah prayed when he was uh, about to die, when he was told he was going to die, and God gave him 15 more years. This is length of days forever and ever, everlasting life. That's what he asked for, and he was convinced that God had given it to him. These are, these are bold requests that David has made. And he's made it with a conviction, you see, that God loves to bless his people. One of the, you know, the things when I uh, listen, and I don't often for my own sanctification, but if you listen to Health Wealth guys, right, Joel Osteen, uh, Benny Hinn, what, whatever, a the, the, the lot of them. If you've ever listened to them before, um, one thing they get right, God loves to bless his children. Everything else, basically, they get wrong. But I love how they, uh, you have to agree, God loves to bless his children. Now, the the, the error they make, you see, is is that the best blessings they can think of is the blessings the entire rest of the world thinks of. Health, wealth, a good life, nice cars. They've got no bigger vision than that. So their problem isn't that they ask too much, they ask too little. David asked for everlasting life. David asked for glory and honor before God. Big stuff. And God says yes. God answers his request. But there's one blessing above all blessings that David asks for and delights in, that the, the blessing that without which nothing else would matter, and that's the blessing of knowing God and being in his presence. Verse 6, you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. David's religion is intensely personal. He is hungry for God, hungry to know the joy of of God. Psalm 27, we'll come to that, Lord, in a few weeks. One thing, one thing I've desired of the Lord, and this will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. One thing. To gaze on the beauty of Jesus, the glory of God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. See, at the end of the day, this is all that matters. It's all that matters for David. You can take the kingdom, you can take the throne, you can take the nice stuff, you take all of it, just give me Jesus, right? That's David's prayer. You can have the whole world. You make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. If you're a Christian, you know that this this is what you were made for. And you know that without this, nothing else tastes, right? If, if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't have the joy of the Lord, and there's times in our life we just don't, we don't experience it. Um, our prayers don't seem to go anywhere. We, we, it's, it's hard for us to believe, and, and we, we look at our life and we're a mess, and there's, there's just no joy in Jesus in it. But you know that if you're there, you're not happy there. You're not content there. I don't care what else you have going on in your life. And when the Lord restores that joy, when you have a sense again of the presence and favor, the, the, the blessing of God, his love for you, then you know once again that's what you're made for. And David trusts that he's received it and that God will keep him to experience it forever. He says, the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Through the steadfast love, that's the the covenant faithfulness and love and mercy of God. God made a promise. And David says, because God made a promise, I am confident I will not be moved. God's promise, God's love will hold me fast. We're going to be looking at that hopefully next um, two weeks as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5. That God himself will establish and strengthen you. And so that's David's rejoicing in the past. He's full of joy. He he is delighted with his God, and he's confident for the future. He realizes that his victory, though glorious, it's not ultimate. It's one battle in a long line of battles, and it's it's a shadow that points to a final outcome. His conquest points to a final conquest. God is at war. When David goes out to battle, he goes in the name of God. He is fighting God's battle. And David is confident that one day that battle was going to be finally over. And that there was going to be an ultimate defeat of the devil. And so he says, your right hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven. When you appear, the Lord will swallow them up in His wrath. The fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. What's this about? Well, this is about the fact that there is a, David realizes, a great antithesis in human history. There's a, there's a, there's a, a line of demarcation that goes uh, through humanity and all the way back to Cain and Abel. The line that separates those who uh, belong to God, are claimed by God, and those who are, uh, belong to their father, the devil. That's a line that the Bible is absolutely clear about in terms of the fact that God has his chosen, God not according to anything whatsoever in them. He chooses the weak, the despised, the things that are not, to shame the things that are, but, but, that, but that those God has chosen, those he makes sons of light, stand in stark contrast to the sons of darkness. There is a line that runs through humanity, and on the last day the reality is going to be exposed. The sheep will be placed on the right and the goats will be placed on the left. And those who are placed on the right will enter into everlasting blessedness and glory and honor. And those who are placed on the left will enter into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. We're nervous about that kind of language in our pluralistic age, our pluralistic society. But David sees it and David rejoices in the fact that in the end, God wins, because he understands that the kingdom of this world is a kingdom of the, the, the evil one, and it is utterly opposed to God in every aspect of its being. That does not mean that unchristians cannot do good things. They're made in the image of God, and God graciously allows human society to, 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 to flourish, and we need to respect right, everyone made in the image of God. But at the same time, to realize that, that if people do not come to, to know Jesus Christ, if they do not bow the knee to Jesus Christ in this life, he will put them to flight. And when the Son of Man comes on the clouds of heaven, what do you find those who opposed him doing? They run to the hills begging the mountains to fall on them. This is the reality that David sees so no matter how wicked men try to hide, fall on us mountains, God will find them out, verse 8. No matter how they might boast, God will swallow them up in His fiery wrath, verse 9. No matter what mischief they devise, no matter how cunning and crafty they might be, their plans will not succeed, verse 11. They will be targets for God's arrow of judgment. That's what it means when you will aim at their faces with your bows. It just means that they become the targets of God's vengeance. One author writes this, God will judge them for their evil plots and plans, even those which never came to fruition. God sets them up for target practice. Think for a moment about the horror of this. What would it be like to be in the crosshairs of an almighty God? There are many who are intent on finding out. Both within the covenant and outside it, men say God does not know, God does not see, but God does know and God does see. And he will string his bows. He will reach for his quiver. That's true, friends. It's true. David delights in it. In Revelation chapter 19, you see it happening. And the saints rejoicing that fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The smoke from her rises up. Judgment has come. God has conquered. Well, that's what David delights in and rejoices about. What do we, how do we apply this tonight? Well, two things I want to say as we wrap up. First, we just want to remember that these are the Psalms of Jesus. King David's greater son. This is, this is a song that Jesus would sing. Imagine this prayer on Jesus' lips. Psalm 20, right, the Psalm before the battle, may well have been a song that Jesus sang on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane Give me victory, O God. Answer all my petitions. We know that Psalm 22 was on his lips when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 is, is astonishingly accurate in its description of Christ's sufferings, and Psalm 21 might very well be the psalm for resurrection morning. That the King now delights. O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. In your salvation, he greatly exalts. You've given him his heart's desire and not withheld the request of his lips. You meet him with rich blessings and set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great. Through your salvation, splendor, and majesty you bestow upon him. We know that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. And Psalm 21 very well could be the psalm that Jesus sings as the conquering king. But it's great for us to know that we sing now this psalm belonging to Jesus. The the Israelite people would celebrate David's victories not just because uh, it's a notch in the belt of King David. They would celebrate King David's victories because his victory was their victory. When David beat back their enemies, it was, they got to enjoy the peace. They got to enjoy the prosperity and all the blessings of his victory. And as Christians, of course, that's exactly our position. And so we sing Psalm 21, O Lord, in your strength we we rejoice. In your salvation we greatly exalt. You've given him, Jesus our Lord, his heart's desire. You've not withheld the request of his lips. It's wonderful to be able to say that. Do you remember what Jesus' request was as he went to battle? Let me just quickly flip to John 17 we'll wrap up. John 17, we have the high priestly prayer. Jesus, as he's going to the cross... First look at verse 1, John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus had two thoughts in his mind as he was going to the cross. Uh, First, his thought was for the glory of God. Glorify your name. What shall I say? Protect me from this hour? No, it's for this hour that I came. Father, glorify your name. And, And the Father responded, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus prays before he goes to the cross for the glory of God. But notice, he prays his second request, is that the Father would give eternal life to all whom you have given him given to me. In verse 24, if you still have your Bible open, 1724, Father, I desire that they also, those whom were given to him, that they also whom you've given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus had the Father's glory and the eternal salvation of his people in mind as he went to the cross. This was the desire of his heart. And so when he cried out, it is finished, this is what was accomplished. And Jesus sings of his victory, and we get to join in the song. His victory is ours. God has been glorified in the salvation of sinners like you and me. God is glorified as his grace goes out to those who do not deserve it. God is glorified as his Holy Spirit now goes to work to sanctify us. God is glorified when he justifies the ungodly. On the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God is glorified as He holds you fast, even though you yourself are weak. God is glorified when He raises your body on that last day to everlasting honor and splendor and majesty forever with Jesus. And God's people will exalt together and worship the strength and the glory of God. They will exalt in the salvation of God. But we can start already. We live in a very uncertain world, but we do not live in an uncertain redemption. Everything that God promises is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we can look forward with absolute confidence, no matter what the newspaper headlines say. The headlines of the gospel always read the same. Jesus Christ wins. And those who belong to him will win forever. The question tonight then is, do you? Do you know this Jesus? Do you belong to him? If so, count that the richest blessing you have. If not, count yourself the most impoverished person. And yet the gospel goes to you tonight. You tonight can come to know this Jesus if you confess your sin and call upon his name. That's the beauty of the day of grace. May God grant that our Lord Jesus Christ returns soon. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for his victory. I thank you that he reigns delighted. With your faithfulness to him, delighted at what he has accomplished, he is a happy king. May we be happy citizens who'd trust and rejoice in the strength of God that saved us at first, that will hold us to the end. Father, I I pray that we as your people would learn to live according to the headlines of the gospel that that is the news that would form our attitudes, that would um, mold our outlook on both the past and the present and the future. That we would live with astounding peace in a world full of conflict and turmoil. And in that peace, to invite others to come to know Jesus, to speak to others of the King, who is faithful and good and true. Oh God, thank you for our Savior. I pray, Lord, that we would live in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.